Hey, Kevin here, partner at People and Company and Get Together co-host. Today we have a special episode for you where I sit on the other side of the microphone. So a few months ago, I had a conversation with my friend David Spinks on the Masters of Community podcast. We cover a couple things. One, you know, my journey in community building and bringing people together before People and Company. Really, you know, why I care about this work. We also dig into some of our approach at People and Company, like the questions we ask clients when they are looking to spark a community with their people. You know, where do you start? And finally, I also wanted to share this episode with you because we spend a good part of our conversation talking about racial injustice and how community leaders can take a stance. That's something I care about and hope you care about too. Give it a listen. If you like this kind of different sort of episode, let us know. You know, hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, send us an email, send me a pigeon. Uh, we'll also get back with our normal Q&As next week where we spotlight ordinary people building extraordinary communities. Be safe, be well. Take care, everybody. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. All right, today's conversation is with my very good friend, Kevin Huynh. He's a co-author of Get Together, an amazing book all about how to build community. Highly recommend you pick it up. He's also the co-founder and partner at People & Company, where they work with brands like Nike and Porsche to help them build their communities. Before that, he led community operations for Creative Mornings, one of my favorite communities in the world, and worked on community at the Feast Conference. In this conversation, we talk about a whole range of different topics. He shares his holistic view at what it takes to build a thriving community. He shares the three core questions that you need to ask before starting your community. We also talk about racial injustice and why it's important for every community builder, every community leader to take a stand in their communities and not to remain silent. We talk about what it's like to go from building community in-house to becoming a community consultant. So lots and lots of great insights. He's such a wealth of knowledge. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I know you will too. If you do enjoy it, share it with your friends and colleagues afterward. All right, let's dive into today's conversation with Kevin Huynh. Welcome to the show, man. Happy to be here. So happy to be here. Long time coming. Long time, long time coming. I forget we've when we known met each probably. other a long time ago. Yeah, we yeah. Ago. Probably like within the five to 10 year range. Yeah. Back in New York, right? Yeah. Back in New York. So it was we at met. least eight years ago. I think your hair was, was different. York. I had longer hair. I think you had Man longer bun. hair. Mm, the dream. The, mm -hmm. My quarantine hair I just look like choice. your standard white male <laughs> mm. short haircut. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, very excited to chat. Um, I've been following you and your work, uh, maybe even since before we really knew each other. Um, and, and you've worked on a few of my most favorite communities in the world with Feast and um, Creative Mornings. Uh, why don't you just take a few minutes and tell us a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are today, a published author, consultant, community expert. Ooh. <laughs> uh, lot, lots of nice words to say about you. Uh, what's your story? How, how'd you get into community and, and what brought you here today? Thanks. Uh, excited to be here. You know, I, I think the story of um, what I'm into today is sort of its roots are in like the story of my family. Um, my, my mom and dad are both Vietnamese war refugees. They came over in 1975 separately sponsored by, uh, families from, you know, a church in the middle of Texas. And I think growing up, I saw them kind of fall in and out of social groups of their communities, sometimes being surrounded by, you know, the, the people who had sponsored them in to taking a job in another state and, and being a bit more isolated. And I think that combined with me growing up um, in sort of suburban Colorado, 90, 95% white school, just really made me really aware of this kind of people side of things you know, aware of how I was spending my time, uh, who I was spending it with, who I wasn't spending it with. And one of my first loves just became um, organizing, organizing events, activities, got involved in student government early. And I think it was my way to really insert myself into 
whatever, you know, the social things that were happening, if I wasn't mm-hmm. sure I was going to be invited at a time, I didn't really feel like I fit in, then like, why not be producing or planning the thing? Then it's like, I'm always invited. Uh, and that theme really stuck with me. This theme of like, you know, live events, bringing people together, organizing campaigns, activities. And um, even during like engineering school, I ended up uh, really focusing on like half my time, probably on campus events, running this, you know, group that put on like a hundred concerts and movie screenings and all sorts of things throughout the year. And when it came time to like start my career, I ended up gravitating more towards like that sort of stuff that really lit me up. And that led me to, you know, producing conferences, um, like the Feast Conference on social innovation. Um, eventually we're going to build out the community at Creative Mornings, building out that really like chapter based kind of grassroots community. And I think a switch for me was when, you know, this, um, you see women, uh, Jess and Brie came in and they had this idea around a new professional women's network called Changemaker Chat. And it's just, as they started to ask for advice around, you know, how they build up their community and what they could do, I sort of realized that this wasn't, you know, this wasn't just about me and what I cared about. If communities are simply groups of people who keep coming together over what they care about, there are a lot of different people care about a lot of different things. Um, and I would eventually kind of move on and uh, join forces with my current business partners, Bailey and Kai, and start people and company, um, write this book, and really just focus on, you know, can we help individuals and organizations better bring their people together, you know, better bring, uh, galvanize the people that they care about and they work with to kind of do more together. Love it. And so much of your story resonates with me as well. My experience, I feel like probably most people who build community for a living today were just like lonely kids who didn't fit in. Yeah. Yeah. And we're like, that, well, that screw you. If you're not going to welcome me in your group, I'm just going to create my own group. Can't kick me out of my own group. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Knowing sort of the, what it's like to be in and out, you know, what it's like to be uh, with others and maybe othered, um, I mm-hmm. think is a, is sort of like a simmering, motivating factor in 100%. my belly and others bellies same same and and yeah you know had two immigrant parents uh they both moved to the u.s i was born a year later my mom barely spoke english she's mm-hmm. from israel my dad was like a super reserved englishman who like didn't need any friends he was one of those people who's just like i got my my wife and my kids yep. that's all i yep. need that's the except the he said unit. it in a british accent not whatever weird <laughs> accent that was and um and yeah like i just really struggled to fit in. And I did the same thing in college. I was like organizing events and yep. be building community and I was social chair of my fraternity and then yep. eventually just turned it into working with businesses. Yep. 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 So same path. And so now you've written the book. Um, and so get together has been out for what, about a year now? Uh, yeah, the year will be in August and we're thinking about what we do for the one year anniversary, but probably around, yeah, nine or 10 months. It's a great book. Um, I've read it and referred to it often and shared it with other people. Thank you. Um, just has a very simple way of explaining how communities are built and formed. Lots of amazing examples in there from businesses and different kinds of books, uh, different kinds of organizations. Um, what What's the response been like so far to the book? How, is it everything you, you hope for? Uh, what's been surprising about it? The most surprising thing for me was sort of the power of clear language. I think for me, when I set out to write it, I didn't realize what spending all this time sort of choosing the words to describe what I cared about and how to do it would really impact me in sort of reinvigorating how much I want to work on this stuff. You know, words matter. Words matter. The The better I am, if, 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 if what matters is what we do and what we do is informed by you know, how we communicate to each other, what we plan to do, what we want to do, then the words that we equip ourselves with matter. And 100%. writing Get Together, this guidebook on, you know, how to build a community and trying to keep it both inspiring and instructional, like this play with mm-hmm. that blend um, and working not just, you know, by myself, but with my co-authors and then many rounds of editors to like, to crystallize that sort of language was, um, has, yeah, it has, has made me feel even more equipped to, um, 
yeah, continue to try to help people get their people together. Mm. Uh, As far as like the response, I think we've, what's wonderful is there are like all those, those things where it's like, yes, a little, you know, some, some new business comes in and there are sort of new people like dropping into our lives, like new potential collaborators. I, I think the most heartening thing about the response has been the, really the breadth of people. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I had hoped to write this book and it, it was afraid to write one that tried to um, talk about community building in a way that it could be read by a CEO or CMO in really a corporate context. Right. It could also be read by that person who's going to start a queer pool club. It could also be read by, you know, my mom's sort of like volunteer coordinator at the nonprofit she works with. And to like, Try to do all that sounds maybe awesome, maybe like very, you know, sounds terrifying. diffuse, <laughs> uh, but we wanted to. And I, yeah. and, and those people, um, that sort of variety of people continues to reach out to us and saying like, Hey, you know, these, these, this, this book is really inspiring. This book is helping me think about, you know, what I do next. Yeah. Um, thank you. And that's, that's, that's the raddest part. I love that you bring up kind of the power of language as well. It's, it's something that I believe in a lot. I think whenever people say it's just semantics, I'm always like, semantics matter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Semantics are everything. It's how we communicate. It's how we understand each other. And I think for you know, the community industry, for people who are building community, they, you know, 10 years ago when you, know, you and I were starting off in this space, mm-hmm. there wasn't really good language on what does it mean to build community? Yeah. What is a community? Um, what is, how does a community fit into a business? Mm -hmm. Uh, what are the steps you take for building a community and community was this like very feeling kind of thing. And people would kind of talk about how it made them feel, but they wouldn't be able to articulate specifically what it means to build a community. Um, and, and that's where a lot of people, it was like a, a misunderstood concept because everyone had such drastically different definitions for every element of community. Yeah. And I, I, I find myself trying to steer away from phrases like sense of community and like the feeling of community or because at least when I, you know, are, I'm trying to work with someone to help them figure out, yeah, what can you do more with your people? How do you build up this community? I find it helpful just to focus it on like that definition I used before, you know, a community is a group of people. Let's, let's just focus on that. A group of people who are going to come together, keep coming together with something they care about. And if we zero in on that, who and start to dig into like why they might come together and what they might do together. We're, we move, we move much quicker away from like, what is, you know, these old definitions we have and much more into like action around what we, the outcome that we want to make, which Mm -hmm. is like to help folks, you know, collaborate more effectively, help one another towards some sort of like purpose towards some sort of Mm -hmm. common goal. So you focus more on like the tangible outcomes rather than emotional outcomes. It's less of, I feel like I belong and more like I came to this community to learn something or to get in shape or to network. And and how do you focus on those specific outcomes? Yeah. And that might be my bias. That's like the, that's the master's in mechanical engineering, just being like, where, what are the pieces that, what are the inputs of this system that is, and then what, you know, what, what is done and what are the outputs of it? Well, I think that's, it's, A great topic because I think it's, that's a question that a lot of community professionals, people who are doing this for an organization, doesn't even have to be a business. Even if like you want to build community on a serious level, right? Like one that you have a lot of intention, a lot of, you want to be organized, you want to be structured. You're not just like, you know, throwing it together willy nilly. This is a question that comes up for a lot of people because like you and me, we built we build community because, you know, maybe we're trying to fill this gap from our childhood, <laughs> but it, it, it's more of That's this like emotional <laughs> giving people a feeling of belonging thing. And sometimes community professionals, I feel, um, are uncomfortable looking at it in a very pragmatic, mm-hmm. um, how do you scale? How do you systematize it? Um, you know, like they don't want to look at people as, numbers. They want, they mm-hmm. don't want to look at people as systems. They want to look at people as people, but then the flip side of that is they struggle to really operationalize and scale their community, which is what you did at Creative Mornings, by the way, you were head of operations there, right? So maybe speak to that. Like 
how do you how do you navigate that balance between the the personal and the operational and what are the things that you need to focus on to operationalize a community yeah you know as we talk about this i realize that perhaps my key is to then partner with someone who really comes like biased on the other side, the feeling side. Like I think about my current business partner, Bailey, who would, you know, immediately raise her hand to find that. Or I think about, you know, the founder of Creative Mornings, Tina Roth Eisenberg, who really has um, like that, you know, spirit dialed in. One of my uh, heroes. <laughs> uh, you know, but, but the question on like how to maybe one, how to balance this idea of like the the feelings and the structure Um I, one way I think about it is uh, I focus on, you know, if you ask me to go start a community, I think there are three core questions I'm going to start with. I'm going to be like, all right, who we bring together? Why would they be interested in coming together? And what are they going to do together to go realize that purpose? And it's like three deceptively simple questions that need to be like, uh, you know, hypotheses need to be developed and, and they need to be tested. Uh, with that, I think when we get into really that like the why and the what part of it, um, it is important to ask like, what is the, you know, what, wh how, how does this community feel? Like how do the activities around this feel? Because you don't have to like reinvent the most amazing activity never done. There are, you know, you can host small group circles, you can run a book club. It doesn't have to be like something technologically, that like, you know, it could be simple putting pieces in place. But if you take a community like EdCamp, which, uh, brings together teachers around sort of like grassroots professional development, all these unconferences where teachers teach teachers. You know, the format around it and how it scales is um, is elegant, you know, like having local leaders, having a format that sort of anybody can adopt. But the feeling of it is part of what makes it really special because the feeling of EdCamp is empowerment. When these teachers, mm -hmm. these K through 12 educators, day in and day out are getting told what to do by the state, you know, are getting, having so-called experts come in and doing professional development that, you know, don't really have, don't really have like the type of sort of background or classroom experience um, that teachers would like to hear from to walk into uh, an ed camp and to feel, be treated with respect, to be asked, what do you want to learn about right now? To feel empowered and all of those little design decisions around that event, you know, even from the language around it to like optimize towards that makes that really special. Hmm. So I think it is, uh, you know, a marriage between the two, but kind of one without the other, either you have like the, another soulless activity webinar, whatever to participate in, or you have something that may feel good, but not like lead to the outputs of perhaps, you know, skill development that you are really looking for. Right. Yeah. I, I want to dig in on this because I think it's a really important thing for every community professional or any community builder to figure out is, is how to scale, but scale while still maintaining that thing that made mm, your community yep. special in the first place and made it feel unique and personal and meaningful to people. And I feel like that's probably where it gets lost sometimes, or that's the risk that people feel like they take if they if they organize something and it felt very spontaneous and fun and authentic. And I mean, so Creative Mornings is how many chapters? Six hundred. No, by now they're I think they're like two hundred and fifteen cities, something like okay. that. Yeah, I was there until like we passed the one hundred mark. Got um, it. Two hundred fifty cities. I, and I've been to Creative Mornings events, um, and like consistently they have that feeling like yeah. there's a feeling at creative mornings events and there's like this set of rituals that happen at the start of every event um and and so but how do you take that from like the one event to 250 events or how do you take that from the 10 person message thread to the 10,000 person forum yeah um, what are the things that you think are really important for going from that first micro, you know, kernel of a community and, and then bring that to exponentially more groups. Yeah. You know, the, the analogy we use in the book is that, um, building a community is like building a fire, you know, communities feel magical, fires feel magical, but they don't come together by magic. There really is like, there can be an order of operations you can adopt to, you know, create a community that burns bright. And it's, and there's still this element of like nurturing it, right? There's still is an element of like seeing what comes in and uh, and and feeding it in in the right way. But really, I think there are sort of like core steps towards starting something and making it bigger. Um, I 
you know, we break it up into three phases. There's, uh, it's you, you know, to continue to go down the fire analogy. It's like, are you sparking the fire? Like, are you just figuring out like how you get people together and what they might do together? Um, are you stoking that fire? Are you, uh, you know, are you figuring out those sort of the rituals, the pieces of identity, you know, whether they be visual or language, um, you know, are, are you trying to uh, figure out how to attract the most like, uh, you know, authentic people that really resonate with the purpose of this community, um, doing that to sort of like begin to grow this group and build a vibrant community. And then the third phase being like, pass the torch, spark, the, spark the flame, stoke the fire, pass the torch where you are trying to build a resilient community. I think part of it is growth. Like we talk about scale. If you want to, to build this and, you know, bring this to many cities or you just want to reach not a hundred people, but a thousand people. But I also think it's about, um, uh, you know, passing the torch is really rooted in developing leadership within the community. Great leaders create more leaders, creating leaders that um, both can like uh, absorb and embody, you know, what makes this community really special, but also um, evolve it, you know, also bring their own, bring their own remix to right. what is happening. So you can, you know, respond to, everything that changes, you know what I mean? Like I was, you know, I'm watching CMX and CMX connect and, you know, COVID-19 takes over our lives, yeah. forcing, you know, uh, practically speaking, forcing a lot of uh, physical events to stop. So if you don't have the leadership to the distributed leadership to begin to adapt and think, you know, we can do some of these things online, you know, maybe we can do some of this stuff asynchronously. Maybe yeah. we can focus on this other thing that is around building up, you know, the community profession um, without all of those minds working on that sort of thing, you aren't going to like your, the community won't, won't continue to thrive. It's a great example. And we, we were blown away when, yeah, CMX connect is our local event program. That's all run by volunteer leaders. And so we were blown away when, you know, they, before we even adapted, they were yep. already like, Oh, we're already setting up, you know, a yep. zoom event. Um, we're going to do it remotely. And we just learned from seeing what they were all doing organically and that led us to throw, you know, CMS Global, which was the larger event we ended up doing with all of their help. So, yeah, um, that, that's, I think that's a great that's example. A, that's such a great point with, you know, I think if you know you're doing something right, this is like at a certain stage, you've, you know, you've, you've sparked the flame and you have something going. But if you are able to be more of a, uh, a spotlighter or almost like a, uh, uh, you, instead of, uh, you know, building this community for people, you can like notice and figure out how to build it with them. You can start to see, you know, what leaders in the community are already doing and say like, Hey, we need more of that. You know, we have, um, X person in Madrid and they are doing this sort of thing. And that's really, really special. Mm -hmm. We should figure out how to templatize that or codify that. We should spotlight that. We should figure out how to translate that. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like when you can reach you, uh, that, that's, I, I think a strong sign of like, you've got something that's going to live on beyond, um, you know, beyond your everyday sort of like work as an organizer. So I, I know that building with your community, not for the community is uh, a consistent theme in your book and something I've heard you mention a lot. Do you think that, so if I'm starting a community today, should I be thinking about building with a community from day one? Or if I'm just getting it started, am I building for the community? But then once I figure out that like first experience that really worked, that's where I start opening up opportunities for members of the community to create and build on it. But at first it really is me as a leader, you know, quote unquote, sparking the flame. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's a bit more of the latter though. Um, you know, there, there are plenty of cases different. However, you know, like I'll give you an example. So my, my friend, uh, Nate Nichols, um, uh, runs an agency called pallet group and, uh, with coronavirus happening, work comes down and he, and he decides we as sort of like freelancers and the agencies, what, what are we going to do right now? And decides to spin up like a freelancer cyber su summit with the tagline around like how the, you know, what the F do we do? right now how do we like find work? you can curse on this podcast i i i honor it because i think it actually wrote like how space tf <laughs> oh it's literally what, okay i just want you to know yeah, that writing. this is this is a safe space for profanity <laughs> and you know the over the course of you know that first 
Cyber Summit event, which she, I think was a, you know, it, it took effort to, you know, it takes someone willing to take the first action to say, right. spin up, say, Hey, this is what we want to do. Right. Um, and I am inviting the people I'm corralling the people. So a lot of like building for the community and they would eventually have round tables and breakouts and all this sort of totally. stuff. And then, you know, in the last, like, as you know, after the murder of George Floyd and with sort of this, like the, the surge and the reckoning with kind of racism, especially within the U S Nate was like, next topic for Freelancer Cyber Summit is allyship in action. Like, mm. you know, Nate, Nate as like a black man has this crazy, you know, story of how all of the barriers he had to like kick over in order to like be in the current position he is. Um, but with this summit, which is, you know, happening, you know, in about three days on allyship in action, uh, he was able to sort of put this call out with like, hey, who wants to host a... Uh, who wants to run part of this? You know, who wants to collaborate on this? Who wants to run a workshop around, you know, how to be an ally for X, you know, for X community or how to talk about race to HR? Um, and, you know, it's happening in a couple of days and it's spun up within like over two weeks and they're going to be launching like an allyship and action pledge. And it really is like, it is not wow. just Nate it is not just Steffi. His wife it is not just his team. It really is like now the community starting to like piece it together but it did take him to sort of spark that flame himself and so kind of plant a flag and say like hey this is something i want to do is who i want to bring together this is the purpose of it i'm putting a lot of effort into this first one but i'm going to be very open to participation and contribution and support and collaboration moving forward mm. yeah it's it's such an interesting topic i think um i i agree i think like if you're building a community from scratch, you're setting that first example. The same mm -hmm. way that later you're looking for the examples to spotlight, yep. when you're getting it off the ground, you're setting that first example. And then that <clears throat> that gives others something to follow um, and learn from and build upon. Um, and sometimes that's another thing that I see a lot of community builders sometimes struggle with is they don't want to make it about them. They want to make it about the community, especially mm -hmm. if you're someone who's coming in to manage a community that's already been established. Um, sometimes I feel like it's hard for community builders to, um, take their seat as a leader and yeah. like use their own voice and use their own example, use their own leadership, you know? And it's, it's that balance between what I guess you would call like servant leadership of just like, I'm in the background, I'm facilitating. I'm just like, I want all of you to do everything and I'm just here to support you, uh, versus like taking the seat as an example yourself and as a leader, um, that other members of the community can follow. Yeah. You know, when, when I talk to folks um, looking to hire a, you know, a community lead or a community manager, one of the things I tell them is whether you plan it, expect it or not, this person will de facto become a leader within the mm -hmm. community. They will, because from the sheer fact that they are starting to connect the dots, that they are the point of contact for things, they will become this kind of, um, there'll be someone that people look at and see as like a reflection, an example for what this community does, who it brings together and why it exists. Um, kind of a tall order, but it's, I, you know, I, I think that's the reality. And there's both a responsibility to, um, you know, listen and honor like the legacy of a community as well, but also, you know, step up as, yeah, I have you know, a voice and a responsibility here to encourage certain things, to uh, discourage certain things that like do not make this community safe, um, to take action. Cause that is like, you know, that's, that's part of the job. Yeah. I love that framing for companies that are hiring for a community role is like, well, this person's going to be a leader representing yeah. your brand and they're going to be an example for the rest of your community to follow. So that's a great way to kind of vet when you're interviewing people and asking yourself, like, is this someone that I would see as a leader in our community. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's a great, um, great segue into another topic that we want to dive into, which was um, how community professionals and community builders can take that seat as leaders and be allies right now um, in the context of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, the fight for racial justice, the fight against racial injustice. Um, it's something that we, we've been trying to do and, and it's something I've been kind of navigating and grappling with yeah. as again, setting the example of, um, CMX is for example, a network of 20,000 community professionals. And so we wanted to not just 
you know, take our own action and be an example, but how do we activate and mobilize other community builders, other community professionals to take a stand, to commit to action, to, um, to do something, to use their leadership to impact this change in their communities. And, you know, we, we got like, kind of like, I would say mixed response, Mm -hmm. like not a huge Mm. response, a Mm -hmm. pretty good response. Um, a few people that even would say like, we don't want to bring politics into our community. Yeah. Our community is just focused on music. Mm-hmm. What, that's what one member said. He's like, we're a music community on this specific genre of, of music. And we pride ourselves on being a space that you can come to escape and just focus on music and not have mm-hmm. to you know, worry about politics or other issues in the world. And so we're not going to say anything or do anything. Mm-hmm. Well, first, you know, thank you for... Um you know, thinking about this work and, and doing something towards it, it's, it's, you know, important and it has lacked the urgency. And I think about my, you know, my own reflection, like anti-blackness has been around my entire life and it's only the last three weeks where I feel the necessary urgency to do something about it for it mm-hmm. to like simmer in a certain way. And that's a, that's a testament to community leaders and, you know, capital CEO, like community organizers who have been pushing that movement forward um, to this, like, you know, to this tipping point, you know, I'm, I don't have sort of solutions for this. I, you know, I have ideas, you know, one thing that the first like kind of level set that comes to mind, I just, you know, I've been starting to read, um, Ibram Kendi's book, how to be an anti-racist. And I tried to buy it. It was sold out. Oh, I, so I, went I, had Kindle to buy, I bought stamped from the beginning and then it came <laughs> in the mail and I realized it's like a thousand pages. I don't know yeah. how long it is, but it's bigger than books I'm comfortable reading. <laughs> what, you know, one of the just early points he makes that struck me was that um, either you're taking a racist stance or you're taking an anti-racist stance. Hmm. Like there isn't, there isn't a, something in between because people are getting hurt. Most urgently, black people are getting hurt and in large part due to complicitness of people like myself, you know, not taking a stand against racism when I could have. Um, and this is, and I, and I say, and stand being, taking a stand in all of these like small and big ways from, you know, the, the, the recruiting at your company to the language that's being used to like, in all of these sorts of ways. So, you know, I, I just, you know, first with that, the, the idea around like, we don't want to bring in politics. I would say like, I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about safety. I'm talking about like mm. uh, livelihood and mm. I'm talking about, you know, using whatever platform you have. I think if you are a person who works with or shepherds people, you, um, you know, you have a responsibility to, uh, to be anti-racist, to uh, essentially like, take the steps that you can to dismantle white supremacy. And even in the Mm -hmm. context of like a music community, there are things that there are like racist ideas that inform racist policies that lead to people getting hurt and, you know, losing lives and being disenfranchised in this snowball type way. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one thing that comes to mind is my, my buddy um, Sean Evaristo runs a, uh, a dance studio and a dance brand out of, um, LA called Movement Lifestyle, and they like are you know true participants and shepherds within like the dance community, and mm-hmm. they've uh, you know they pulled together a consortium of folks that have decided to like stop calling urban dance urban dance. That's right, um, I saw because, that. Yeah, and you know I think that's just like a you know aid and action that they have like rallied around that isn't you know um, that isn't as supposed as like let's go we need to go set up a, a place to talk about politics. It's like, no, examining what you do with a like sharper sort of magnifying totally. glass um, and under, and seeing like, yeah, what, what changes can we start making now? Right. Yeah. To build on that, I think like something I've been thinking about is kind of forming, again, the language around <laughs> that I didn't necessarily have before, but it's kind of been bubbling around is that DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, is inseparable from community. Hmm. So if you are building a community, DEI is already a part of it, whether Mm -hmm. intentional or not, because what you're doing is creating a space for humans to interact. Yep. And this, you know, microaggressions, uh, the language we use, uh, the way we treat each other, the, the, 
the outcomes of systemic racism show up in the way we interact with each other. And so Mm -hmm. if you are hosting a space for people to interact, you are creating a space where those actions are being taken and you have a responsibility and an opportunity to become aware of those things, to address those things and to make your little, you know, microcosm, your little space a little bit better than the average in the rest of the world. Yeah. And what that actually does, again, to your point of safety, it's not about, it's not about politics. It's about like, how do we create the best community possible? And to me, the best community possible is a community where everybody that should be in this group is able to be in this group and feel 100% welcome, included, um, feel like they're truly a part of the community. And and the, the default, the standard, the status quo right now, if you did nothing, is that they probably won't be. Yep. Because the status quo in the whole world is that they are not. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, th- there are there are cases of of communities that started out of a certain place of positivity that have spun into extremely toxic communities that exclude and hurt others. You know, I'm thinking about a story with the there's a Reddit thread that ended up, you know, spinning off and becoming all of this uh, that has, you know, really propelled a good amount of like violence and hate. And I think it may be in the same way that uh, other professionals, whether it be perhaps a doctor needs to like take responsibility for what they do as an intervention and understand like, you know, how to do so in a safe way to mitigate the impacts of like, uh, you know, mitigate the impacts on health, on your own health. If they like do perform a surgery on you, you as a community leader, as a community manager, as an organizer, as a people person, um, you are, yeah, you are organizing people to interact as you had said. And, uh, it's about time to like own the part of the, the responsibility, the code, the job, which is to, uh, take an anti-racist stance and uh, make sure that even these things that might seem like small slights or like a little toxic corner of your group, those things are adding up and continuing to propel a system forward that is hurting a lot of people. It's like, you know, it, it, it's an active role. 100%. Yeah, it's like if you're not taking action, you're not only not solving the problem, but you're opening up risk for perpetuating the problem or even making it worse. Yep. Yep. You know, back to, we were talking a bit about leaders and scale. And I think, you know, one sort of strategy or tactic to throw in the mix here is that leadership roles come in all shapes and sizes. You know, if I'm not ready to uh, pace the next run at my run club, I can maybe lead the stretch. I can maybe lead the final meditation. I can maybe do announcements. I could lead the cheers, you know? And I think with this, there's uh, perhaps like the leaders of current communities don't have to look at themselves as like, I am the only one that needs to do something, but I need to carve out the role, the space. So we are actively looking for this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Actively working on uh, uh, dismantling white supremacy and fighting racism. And so, you know, look to, look to new leaders, look to like Mm -hmm. who in your community would, um, can lead on this even more effectively than you can, that can work with you on it. That is raising their hand to, um, and, you know, put real resources and support behind them. Um, I don't, I don't have specific like examples to call out, but, you know, I feel like some of the corporate response has been frustrating to me because, you know, I believe that these organizations are in such a, you know, beyond just donating money, they organize huge groups of people, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the most effective way to make this change is to like go and work with your people, to go fund your people who have ideas for certain projects who are like already doing that work, to like give them their, you know, their volunteer days, (laughs) you know, their, their one week paid volunteer days and like point it towards a certain you know, points for a certain cause or to like up that like ability to, you know, up that matching donation. There are all of these ways that one can like really supercharge, you know, the people you already bring together to, um, you know, fight this fight. And I feel like there's like, sometimes like a lack of creativity or ownership over, you know, being down to do it. 
And and yeah, just like leaning into that discomfort, I feel like it's just uncomfortable for a lot of business leaders or business people or brands. Brands aren't used to the messy emotional aspect of, of these like human things. And and that's like the crux of this whole community industry movement is like it took businesses a long time to even you know, really feel comfortable with, all right, we're going to build community, which inherently means giving up control to other people. Brands are so used to controlling as much as possible, you know, reducing risk as much as possible. But that comes at the, that comes with a limitation of not being able to grow what you're doing and not being able to evolve. And this is a great example. And I love that, that call out that like, you don't even have to have all the answers for how to uh, improve DEI within your organization. Like there's probably people within your organization who care about it and you need to give them a platform to be able to take action and advocate. Um, and there's a hundred percent, a lot, it's a lot of companies out there who are making these grand donations and it's like, look at your own backyard first. Like there's a lot you can do yeah. to again, set a good example. Um, you know, the, the statement and the donation is great, but if you're not committing to those actions in your own home, then it's kind of hard to take seriously. Yeah. My buddy, uh, Kyle Somersall, who, um, used to run this community called inner glow meditation community. I, he had Instagram something, uh, yesterday that was just like that discomfort you're feeling like that's the point. <laughs> and then mm, I was, I was protesting exactly. in, um, uh, I I live in New York. And so there was a, uh, black, black trans lives matter, uh, rally. And Brooklyn, at Brooklyn right? Museum, yeah, yeah, that I was at yesterday, and I just Huge. saw, yeah, I saw a demonstrator walking by with a sign that just said "fuck your comfort." <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, that's that. And you know, as far as like the one of the most common challenges that people and companies sees when we, um, when we run sprints and labs and coaching with organizations, trying to you know build communities, start a sort of community effort, is this, um, is this fear of giving up control? Is this like comfort with uh, allowing people to take a part of their brand, own it and remix it? And, you know, you take a, it's just hard to imagine, you know, an extreme example is like a luxury brand, like a Chanel. Like, are they really going to be ready to, you know, I, I can make an assumption that like, based on how carefully designed the things are, the idea of having a lot of people who are, you know, not... Uh, that you cannot control propelling forward whatever effort is mm -hmm. like scary. But I think with, unless you do that, unless you like push yourself a bit more towards that side of the spectrum where you are willing to allow people to meaningfully participate, you are allowing people to organize, whether it's, you know, gatherings or activities or being able to like actually speak honestly in forums, like all these sorts of things, unless you're willing to do that, release that control valve a bit, um, you're not going to realize you know, the fire is not going to build. You're not right. going to enable people to feel true ownership over this kind of, yeah, this community, this group of people mm -hmm. and shaping it. And without feeling ownership, then, you know, why, why do I want to keep putting my time towards this? Totally. Yeah. I kind of think about it almost like, like you're bowling and you have the bumpers up. It's like, you know, you can give people these kind of guide rails or the bumpers. So it's like, stay within these bumpers, but within the bumpers, like go crazy, like get creative, yeah. have fun, go up, go down, do something different. And like companies is like, you can kind of see how their bumpers start off, you know, really, really close to each other. Yeah, they want to give yeah. a lot of freedom. And then they're like, oh, whoa, like they're actually doing some really cool stuff within this range. Like what if we open it up a little bit more and, and, and people can get more creative and then sometimes they open it up and someone does something really messed up and, yep. <laughs> and they're like, yep. Oh shit, <laughs> we gotta, we gotta fix this. But then you realize like, Oh no, that was just like one person, um, who like, you know, wasn't aligned on values or didn't understand something. And, and then you realize, okay, well we can even have bumpers that people can go over, but if they do go over, you know, we can moderate or manage it or facilitate and make sure it can be brought back, you know, to alignment. Yeah. Um, and then some, at some point someone's going to do something crazy. Like they're going to be like, I'd rather, I want to make a popcorn stand like behind the bowling lane and that people are going to like really enjoy that. And you'll be like, wow, we didn't think about that when we set up the bumpers, but that's amazing. And we should probably, we should probably just really support that and empower that happening. Genius. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, well, so kind of, kind of segueing a little bit, but, um, kind of on this track of companies not feeling, 
uh, confident, giving up control all the time. Um, you, you've made that, that transition, that leap that I've also done in the past of going from in-house community to Mm -hmm. consulting. I know a lot of people listening are either, uh, consultants, community consultants themselves, or maybe they're thinking about that one day, like going from work, you know, being a community manager in-house to working with many different companies, helping them build their communities. What was that transition like for you? Messy and fulfilling are two mm-hmm. <laughs> two words that come to mind. I think, um, you know, you know, honestly, when I started just uh, when I started freelancing after um, a position at a startup in like 2015, 2016, I was, I, I, you know, my just personal journey, I was trying to pull apart, like, what is the stuff that I really want to do? What do I not want to do? What do I not want to do? Because I'm just burned out. Or what do I not want to do because I genuinely don't like that? Or what do I not want to do because I was doing it before in a different system or environment? And, you know, I, I took along a lot of different types of projects. Some worked out, some didn't, some paid, some didn't. And kind of came back to center that's like, you know, at the end of the day, I really do care about sort of like bridging gaps in this universe by helping mm-hmm. people get people together. Mm-hmm. Um, and transitioning into sort of consulting has been... Um, I realized the difference between, uh, practicing and maybe like teaching or coaching. Like they're just, they are different modes and they are different skill sets, Mm -hmm. um, that can be developed. And, Mm -hmm. um, I've realized that, you know, my sort of most effective role now is not to share, it's not to like share the best practices that I've learned before. Um, it really is to my role as a, you know, as a consultant, as someone who runs this type of company, as someone doing strategy, um, is as like a trail guide. And, um, I think, you know, at, at people and company, the, the big goal is like help, help organizations make better bets when they're investing in building a community. There are no promises. There are no perfect plans, but what we can do is try to bring as the best, you know, world-class inspiration, as well as, you know, hold on the ideas and bring a process to help people figure out, you know, what is, you know, how do I, how do we start articulating like who we want to bring together? Mm-hmm. You know, why might they come together? Providing the scaffolding to help them have those discussions and figure that out. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, move into generating, you know, uh, uh, creative ideas around those activities that they might host or organize. And then a process and a plan for how to like prototype those, gut check them with like real potential community members and start mm-hmm. testing them. And that mm-hmm. whole like summation of that practice, I just say is like, there's a, um, if, if someone, if you're, you know, if you've had a, a career in, you know, organizing in community management and you want to start consulting, I would say like, you've done this already, this really challenging part to like gather all this practical knowledge and experience and understanding of like the ups and downs of doing that. And the really like great stuff and the really shitty stuff. Um, and now you're going to have to start like picking apart what you did and what like holds true and what doesn't and start mm-hmm. creating like, you know, uh, really facilitating ways for the clients you work with to, because they're going to know their people much better than you do, facilitating mm-hmm. ways for them to kind of dig into that knowledge and apply your sort of ideas and frameworks in order to come up with really compelling like strategies and plans to build up their community. So making, I think that shift is has been the big thing for me from like practitioner to uh, coach. Yeah. I mean, we see that a lot, even uh, at CMX summit and our events, you know, we've had hundreds of people speak um, and, and it's not uncommon for someone to be a very experienced community professional that just has never spoken at an event before. And it's the first time that they've had to take what they've done and, and be able to teach it to someone else. And they, re- yeah. and then they realize like, oh shit, that's really hard to do yeah. to take, you know, they've, they've kind of like learned, uh, this stuff. It, it becomes a little bit innate and natural. They, ju- they understand it, but, uh, to explain it to someone else in a way that they can understand and apply is actually really difficult. Yeah. You've, you've run a lot of workshops, you know, we, we, that's like a, a familiar format in people and company land. And to me, it gets down to even the minute details of like, how do you ask people these questions, right? Mm-hmm. If I want to like, it's like, how do I, how do I ask the right question? How much sort of structure or scaffolding do you need to like answer this? 
and how do I provide like effective criteria for you to like evaluate your ideas? Hmm. Um, like, what, what are some of the things like, I would love to get a little glimpse into what a workshop with people and company looks like. And you've worked with some amazing clients, Nike, uh, mm -hmm. who are some of your clients? I'm blanking on a few of their names right now. Yeah. Uh, worked with some folks like, uh, Nike, um, Porsche, uh, some amazing nonprofits like the Surfrider Foundation and, you know, the Ed Camp Foundation. Um, and now doing some really interesting work on internal communities. So, mm -hmm. um, maybe names that, uh, like internal GIC. being employees. Yeah. Internal meaning employees. So, you mm -hmm. know, GIC, which is a, the investment arm of like Singapore, the nation, okay. you know, has thousands of employees and how to keep those folks connected. So, so you go into these organizations and you, you teach a workshop that helps them frame their community strategy. Is it just a workshop or do you have like follow on kind of services that you offer as well? Yeah. So, you know, we, there are three buckets to our work. There's sprints, there's labs and coaching. Um, labs a bit sort of interchangeable with workshop, but hanging in sort of that like labs sprint side, it's, it's never, you know, the workshop is never the workshop. Um, there's sort of this upfront work around, I think the, the common hunch or the common problem that a, a client will come with is we have a hunch we can do something more with a certain set of people. It's, and we want to maximize our chances of success. You know, I've done work with Etsy, but it'd be like Etsy saying like, we have these sellers that are absolutely amazing in our marketplace. We're not doing enough with them. We think we can do something more with them, whether it's. Mm. So we have a group of people who seem really committed and motivated, but yeah, we don't yeah. know or, what to do. How do we exactly. get them going? Yeah. Yep. Um, and for us, you know, there's, uh, if we look at what needs to be accomplished, I think one is sort of a level set on how communities start and grow. You know, out of all of my coaching meetings, it's really hard to strategize about community building without an understanding of the steps involved to build a community. How do you start talking about like what you need more of and what you need less of? Right. Um, so, and then in addition to that, it's doing some upfront work with them to figure out like, all right, who specifically are we talking about here? Is it, you know, all sellers in the marketplace? Is it like a couple of different types? You have some hunches and you're not really sure and you want to explore some different directions for like where you want to take this work. Um, and then we will, you know, with the labs, we'll facilitate kind of like a two day deep dive with um, a cross-functional team, sometimes mm -hmm. a cross-functional team plus community members mm -hmm. um, to explore their hunches around what they might want to do. So if it's like, hey, we have these three different slots of like who we want to perhaps like invest more in, we'll be like, great we're going to break up into three groups and we're going to really like blow this out. We're going to, we're going to look at each one and be like, Hey, why do you want to get your people together? Here are like kind of sort of nine common themes as bricks to start getting you started, but have that conversation and say like, are you really optimizing this community around, you know, is it around accountability to continue to help like sort of like uh sellers stick with like building, you know, creating new products? Is it more around inspiration, sort of new ideas so they can like, uh, continue to create, you know, great things. Is it about emotional support to deal with like what's really hard about uh, being a seller? Mm -hmm. And then from there, you know, uh, running folks through exercises around uh, what. So if we if we've isolated like this is a hunch around the community that we can start, or like the sort of a guiding start, a starter guiding light or purpose. Um, what are you know, what are the activities we might start to organize? And I use activities really widely to mean everything from challenges to Q and A's to unconferences to, you know, you name it. There are all these different formats that um, one can use and maybe some are more, uh, uh, some are more impactful depending on what type of community you're hoping to build. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we would communicate, you know, what is the most, you know, the top criteria for like what makes a really successful activity and then create the space for folks to workshop these and gut check them. And then eventually um, with some clients hanging on as coaches with them through the testing process. So it's like, all right, we've isolated these. Um, now, like this is sort of a testing plan over the next six weeks. Like let's kind of go through this cycle. People and company will be around for these kind of like regular check-ins so we can course correct. Um, and as I said before, try to make the smartest best we can to like make this community building investment successful. Mm, that's really cool. Wh what are the things that you look for to know if the experiment was successful? Yeah, I, I think one of the things you that is um, challenging to look for is retention. So I think that's where a lot of people's mind goes. Like, um, 
I know I believe a community is in a community unless people keep showing up. And so like Mm -hmm. a good measure of the health is like, do people continue to show up? Are they continuing to participate in a meaningful way? But early on with such a, with like a smaller sample size and when you're starting to do things, I think you're looking, uh, I think you're looking for two things. A successful experiment, one is going to lead you to learn. So even if it's like, this did not work whatsoever, mm-hmm. that's, ve- that's really valuable. Right. Um, you are understanding like this format doesn't make sense, or maybe you had a hunch that this is about emotional support and people aren't really into that, at least on this kind of early test. So like kind of a big swing in different directions. I think the second thing you're looking for is like crazy energy. And I'm not talking like just, uh, how likely are you to refer this to a friend? Most people were eight to nine. I'm talking like you need... F- and if you really want sort of like your efforts to scale, say you're, you know, you are looking at your internal employees and you're thinking about running a new thing, maybe it's an anti-racism book club that is led by folks. Like if, if people aren't like, yo, this was almost transformational or this is something like I, I definitely need more of, or I've been yearning to have this conversation for so long. Um, or if you need, like you need some sort of signal you know, mm-hmm. five times as many people registered for this than you thought they would. Um, I, you're looking for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it comes in different forms, but um, it requires like a lot of testing, can require testing and iteration to like get there. But when you when you see something like that, you really have a shared activity that you can kind of continue to build on. Um, because yeah, truthfully, there's, I think the the mistake would be to be like, hey, we ran this meetup it seemed pretty good. Like we're excited to like scale this up. Like, let's go for it. I think I heard this story that, you know, Laura Nessler Duolingo like tested 40 events for their language circles, you know? And, um, I, as far as like, what's going to keep a company from doing this well, I think it's an expectation that they're going to figure it out quickly, figure out in the short term and not giving it space to breathe. And it's funny too, because that's, you know, as we know, not how businesses work in the first place. Um, it's all about, having a hypothesis. And I love that you focus on, this is an experiment. You're going to have a hypothesis. You're going to experiment. You're going to try it. You're going to see the results and either it's going to be successful and you'll have these ways of of seeing that, or it wasn't a successful, it wasn't like, um, maybe it didn't build a community, but it was successful because you got some really clear learnings and insights from it that now allow you to adapt your hypothesis and try something again. Yeah. Yeah. you know, one, one flip on this is we are also starting to see clients who come in and saying like, hey, um, and, I, and I really like this approach to it. They're saying, hey, um, I want to build up this organization more like a community than a business. I want this organization to have some like very, like I read the book and I want this organization to almost like a culture shift of looking at our customers in a different way of being more focused on how do we build with people, build with each other, build with our customers and build for and so we'll do workshops um, with sort of a collection of change agents within an organization, a large one. Be like, these are 12 people that are going to like, they're going to make a ruckus and they're going to um, start sort of enacting a little, you know, they're down to start enacting little programs. They already have a track record of doing it. And I want to like equip them with a sort of a, a next level of sort of language and inspiration and a framework to sort of evaluate what they do next to maximize the possibility that they can, you know, further push our organization to be a, you know, a more collaborative community centered like group across whether we're talking about HR or talking about the marketing or we're talking about kind of engineering. Um, and I find those really fun because I, to me, that's like building a community often gets siloed at some place in the organization. Does it live under totally. a product? Does it live under this? And I think at the end of the day, like the value of investing in a particular group of people can be and will be realized and like it'll seep into all sorts of like, you know, ways that you've tried to box it in, you know, right. and it will like inspire people to, and from a retention standpoint, to want people to stay, stay it around. Touches it touches everything. Help. Yeah, it touches everything from a product feedback, from a marketing, from a, you know, uh, voice of the customer. Like it can just really seep into all these places. So to only believe that, you know what, it only lives here and I only need like this person from this sort of side of the organization to be thinking about this, I think is a, is a farce or like a, you know, a recipe to, you know, not do, not make meaningful change. Yeah, I agree. And and I've changed my mind on this in recent years. Um, cause I used to really say like, choose one goal and, and really focus on it. Um, 
I still think it's true that you need to have a prior, like an order of priority and understand what the specific outcomes you're accountable to are and not have too many of those or else you'll not be successful. That said, I think community does, you know, touch pretty much every part of the business, whether or not you want it to. Um, and, and the way I've been advising companies to think about where it sits in the organization is kind of like a hub and spoke model. Um, and I think Duolingo uses it this way. And I think Salesforce does too, where it's like you have a central community department. Um, and then that department intersects with other teams and you might even have people who are on the community team who also sit on another team. Mm -hmm. So they'll be like on the community team and they sit on the marketing team or on the community team and they sit on the product team and they work on product and features and, or they sit on the support and success team and they focus on like forums and education, but they're still part of the central community team, which is um, providing the overall community strategy, values, standards, metrics, all the community specific things that are required for the, uh, a department like that to be successful. Yeah, I love that. I think it gets back to that. Um, we spoke earlier around focusing on community as a, a community, as a group of people, and maybe less as like, what is the belong, the sense of belonging that, mm-hmm. you know, the sense of community. And when you think about it as a group of people, it's like, great. Yeah, that great, that group of people, all of our organization is like trying to, supercharge or like serve that, you know, that group of people. So how can we believe that community can live, you know, a community department can live in a silo? Yeah. It turns out it's all just groups of people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of this is just groups of people yep. just trying to friggin' survive together and yeah. exist in the world. Yeah. This whole business thing is just made up <laughs> as I a way it. to coexist. Yeah, that's why companies are like, ah, we're not investing in community. It's like, well, who's building all the things? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. Well, we're going to wrap up with some rapid fire questions. Oh, cool. Um, one, one of my favorite ones is one that you kind of just answered, but we'll, we'll kind of articulate it is what is your definition of community? True communities are simply groups of people who keep coming together over what they care about. Boom. Love it. Rapid fire. All right. Favorite book. Uh, the Martian like uh, reignited mm. my sort of uh, I don't know, a, a love for science fiction. It, it, it led me down a, a deep path to continue, That's continue awesome. reading. Also yep. a very community, has a great community story behind it of mm-hmm. how it was written. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wasn't it, uh, it was like a short story posted on Reddit or something? Uh, yeah, he, he would post it on Reddit in like um, space subreddits where there's actual like scientists and they would all give him feedback on his drafts and make sure it was like scientifically accurate and give even feedback on the stories. And so he basically like wrote it with the community. There we go. There it is. Perfect. Perfect answer. (laughs) Um, Who is somebody that you are learning a lot from right now? uh, You're following someone that you'd recommend other people follow? Uh, check out my friend Nate Nichols, who's running this uh, freelancer cyber summit. I think if you go to allyshipinaction.com, you'll find the the work they're up to. But uh, that now I sent him a birthday message maybe a month ago that was just like, "Hey man, sometimes I honestly I just like I channel you. I'm like, what would Nate do in this situation? And it's probably a combination of like showing up like real, also like moonwalking through life and like not being afraid of like some really hard stuff that you got to go through. That's where that's where we grow. Love it. What's your favorite community? Oh, today's at EdCamp. I mean, I brought them. I brought them up earlier. Um, I've served on the board of that organization of uh, you know where where teachers teach teachers over these unconferences. But you know, I, I've I've had the chance to go to maybe like four or five of these um, in person pre COVID. Uh, now they're running Ed Camps with you know thousands of people uh, talking about sort of how to uh, teach with digital and you know, with sort of the, the stay at home needs of, of kids. And, um, they're really amazing. Just the, the feeling, uh, and the true sense of empowerment that they provide to, um, that they build with the folks there. It's killer. Edcamp.org. Love it. Um, what's one like go to engagement tactic or technique that you, that you like using? I bet small discussions and breakouts is a, uh, the short answer. I think it's a, a quick hack to turn, um, a lot of these like speaker, one person talks to a lot of people, one, 
a lot of people ask one person a question, like it's a way to turn that up on its head and, you know, to be able to like break people up into a group, whether that's going to be a repeating group for, you know, many months or like in an event itself, um, in a gathering and activity itself, just to like help people sort of navigate or reflect on what they're learning. Follow up rapid fire question. What's the one thing you think is most important to keep in mind when doing small group discussions to make them successful? Facilitation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that could be, that could be light, like, uh, identifying, you know, just questions ahead of time to get things started. Um, but I think to toss people in a group and say, Hey, talk about like whatever, or it's like, we're going to put you in a group to go like reflect on what you heard. Um, I think it's lazy. I think mm-hmm. it doesn't honor the fact that you're, you're bringing people there together for a purpose and you could do some legwork to, uh, guide people to have, um, yeah, really killer conversations and move from like reporting facts or observations to, you know, so why, and what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. Love it. Last question. So you're on your deathbed and tomorrow's your last day on earth. And I hand you a piece of paper to write down the one piece of advice that you have for people on building communities that you want them to remember from all of your experience and all your learnings. What, what is that advice? Go build your community with people, not for people. Done. Love it. Awesome, Kevin. This is great. Uh, where can people go find you online? Uh, the book is Get Together. Yep. The book is- uh, where, where else should they go? Yeah, the book is Get Together. You can search it on Amazon or go gettogetherbook.com. Um, you can find out more about People and Company, our strategy company at uh, peopleand.company. Not a .com, but a .company. That'll get you there. You have a podcast? We have a podcast. Yep. Get Together. Just search that in wherever you podcast. We spotlight kind of interviews with ordinary people who've built extraordinary communities. Awesome. You're on Twitter too. What's your I'm Twitter? on Twitter, at Kevin Huynh, K V I N. H-U-Y-N-H. And then my personal website, KiwiMonk.com. The story behind that name is, and you know, for the next podcast. For another episode. For another episode. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, man. Really appreciate you. Um, you've always been someone, like I said in the start, who I've followed and have had a lot of respect for. And I appreciate your, uh, you, you are someone who gets kind of that balance of operationalizing community and while keeping it real and keeping it meaningful um, and you've always just been a, a generous person with your time and your insights. And I mean, I think we, we could talk all day. I, I, I love this stuff. So appreciate you, appreciate you taking the time and, and all the, all the work that you've done for the thank industry you. and to help other community builders. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate y'all too. All right, man. All right. Thanks everyone. See you next time.